series, Journey Toward Lent. We're going to look, be looking at today the idea of covenant, uh, God's covenants with his people. We're looking at Noah, uh, famously the story in Genesis chapter 9 about uh, God making a covenant uh, with Noah after the flood. And um, when I think about the, the rainbow that we see that appears in this story, uh, as a child of the 80s, I automatically think about uh, this. I think about this show that came on TV. Show it. Not working? <laughs> reading Rainbow. Remember Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton? Classic. Love Reading Rainbow. I automatically think about Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton, uh, who was also in Star Trek. And um, <laughs> nerd alert. And, and I researched this this week. You know that when we see rainbows on the earth, we see them as a bow. But if you're up in the sky... Uh, the rainbows are actually circles. Did you know this? I did not know this. Do we, does this, does the picture work? No? What, 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 uh, what about the scripture? Hey, all right. So I did not know this, but rainbows are technically circles. So when we see rainbows, um, they're not just, uh, just, a, just one half, you know? And this, it's interesting that if you look at, um, in our solar system, the Earth, is the only planet that has rainbows. Now, that might sound obvious, but I never thought of that either, that our planet's the only one that has the potential to do that because, uh, well, the Bible says so, but uh, scientifically, the, our planet is the only one with rainbows because we're just the right distance from the sun, which means that um, we, uh, we all can have water on this planet. There's freezing and melting. There's condensation in the atmosphere. We're tilted at just the right angle, uh, which is just the right angle to sustain life. We have a moon that circulates around our planet that allows for tides and shores and oceans and things like that. Um, a magnetic field that contributes to our protection from radiation. And all of that's just a big coincidence, by the way. Just a huge coincidence that that's the way it worked out. And, but as astronomers have noted, we're the only planet that has suspended water in the atmosphere with direct sunlight from the sun being between the horizon and 42 degrees altitude. I don't know what that means, but it's on my paper. <laughs> Typically, you see rainbows after thunderstorms, after rain has fallen. So we see it um, reflecting through the, the, the moisture that's in the sky. So this must be a common phenomenon, but no, it doesn't happen on our moon. Our moon doesn't have any atmosphere. Mars doesn't have the moisture. Venus is too thick of an atmosphere. Uh, no other planets don't have liquid water. So, but to God's people, we see a rainbow, and we don't just see it as a coincidence. We don't just see it as a merely a meteorological phenomenon, which it is. But according to the Bible, it's a much bigger, um, it's a much bigger importance than just that. Now, it's something we take for granted. We've seen rainbows many times in our lives. Um, but we'll see today that it means so much more than just it's a pretty thing in the sky. Uh, and so we're looking at this Journey Toward Lent series and looking at, you're going to see a theme of covenant come up a lot. And we're looking at Noah today. We're seeing Abraham next week. We're looking at the Exodus and in, the in, uh, week after that. Um, all leading up toward Easter, so 
it's fascinating, though, to stay focused on the biblical idea of covenant. As we go into a season of, of self-examination, um, we go through a season of Lent where we're, we're, we're very much aware of our frailties, of our failures. It's so vital to stay focused on what is eternally true, right? And to, not, to realize we're making this journey on a strong foundation. It's not just about um, realizing our frailties and how we need grace, which is as important as that is, but it's also about being reminded as we see covenant over and over again in the story of God and God's people. So the Journey Toward Lent series, that's what we'll be taking this journey together, the Sundays in Lent. Um, so from Noah to Abraham to Exodus and of course to Jesus and the Last Supper, covenant, covenant, covenant pops up every time. So this is Genesis chapter nine. This is after the flood. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. So twice God has said this. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbows will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. This is Noah talking. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is a sign of a covenant. So there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of repetition here. Uh, the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. So according to the Bible, every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it is, was put there by God. You are seeing a supernaturally created phenomenon, according to the Bible. Now granted, the earth itself is essentially a supernaturally created phenomenon as well. But again, we can see rainbows our whole lives and we just sort of say, oh, how pretty. It's beautiful, take a picture of it. Uh, I wonder if there's gold at the end of it or whatever. But every time you see one, remind yourself, God put it there. He put it there for people to remember God's kindness, his mercy, and his love. Now, why wouldn't God just say to Noah, I'm making a covenant with you. He could have done that. He could have, had a, he could have taken Noah up on a mountain like Moses and given him a message, but he didn't. God would rather show than tell. He would rather show than tell. It's so, it's so much more vital to show someone something rather than just tell them, right? Like when we have um, our ushers and greeters at the, at the church here, uh, we tell them, um, if you need to help a family find the nursery, don't just tell them where to go, because for one, they'd probably get lost in this church. They would probably go up in a closet or something. Don't just tell them where it is, right? Take them. Show them where it is. And it's so much more effective, right? It's, so it's better to show than tell. That action is just better than intention. And of course, God knows that. So when we look at this picture of covenant, you see it come up again and again in Genesis chapter nine, God repeats that word over and over again. What is the biblical understanding of covenant? 
And a lot of people today seem to think that a covenant is the same thing as a contract. They're not. It's not the same thing. It's very much different than a contract. Contracts can be nullified. Contracts can be broken. You cannot fulfill the, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all the speech. I just, I'm, I just, I'm moving, so I just signed all sorts of contracts. I don't even know what I signed half the time. Now it's all digital, you're just clicking. But it, covenants are not contracts. Contracts can fade away. They can have, like we said, they can be nullified, they can be broken. But on God's end, covenants never break. Isn't that good news? From God's end, he does not break his covenants. Me and you can walk away from them, but God does not. He has never broken any covenant he has ever made with men and women. So in a covenant, there is safety in the walls of that covenant. It's like guardrails on a road. If you stay within the confines of that covenant, there is goodness there. Not always easiness, but there's goodness there. You can know the love and the goodness of God if you remain in that covenant or return to that promise, that covenant promise of God. Outside of the covenant, all bets are off. But inside the covenant, God never breaks his covenant. Now, a great reminder of this that we can, I think, relate to those of us who are married or who have been married. We understand what's happening when, well, hopefully we did, when we went up before the altar and we went before the preacher and we, we did what? You created a covenant between you and your spouse and God. The covenant of marriage. Think of it this way. The love in your marriage is priceless and needs to be guarded. Selfishness, pride, lack of forgiveness, inattentiveness are some of the thieves capable of stealing away your love. In a sense, your marriage is like, is like a treasure chest that forms a protective casing around your love. It protects the love in your marriage from being stolen. Treasure chests have hard sides. The hardness protects what's inside. Many people have the false assumption that love will enable your marriage to survive. That love is the outer casing that protects your covenant of marriage on the inside. Friends, that's a false, that's not the case. Your love will not ensure your marriage will survive. It is your marriage which will ensure your love will survive. It's the covenant you made on marriage day and the keeping of it that ensures your love. This is the very reason why God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. The covenant made between them and God will protect what's inside, right? So the biblical covenant is what keeps marriage alive, not love keeping marriage alive. And this is a revolutionary thought to some today because we think that love is all emotion. It's all uh, based on my circumstance. It's all, friend, if you're living your life that way, that's an up and down way to live in a home or a marriage or a relationship because feelings come and go, right? But covenant does not. It protects those feelings. It protects the love inside your home and your marriage. There's safety within the covenant. So when Jesus says at the Last Supper, and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, he's showing, not just telling, he's showing, not just telling, and he's saying, remain in me, remain in my love, and this is how you do it. If you want to remain in my love, 
do this act, this act of covenant, of body and blood, of bread and juice, wine, whatever your persuasion. Uh, we're, we're here, we're a, peop- we're a people of Welch's, okay? <laughs> but whatever it is, when you take of that, you're saying to God, God, I remain in this covenant with you that you have created with your own blood, right? That will never, and because I'm in that covenant with you, our love we share will be protected. Does that make sense? It's the same idea. So Jesus is saying this new covenant I'm instituting will protect our love we share. Now, when I was a little kid and I would see a picture of Jesus on the cross, and a lot of people struggle with this if you're not a religious person and you think, why, why the blood? Why, this, why the death? Why does Jesus have to shed his blood? Why did he have to do that? Well, that's a much bigger question than I can answer in 20 minutes. But the short answer is according to scripture, is that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no atonement for the sins of the people. So from the perspective of God, who gets it far better than we do, he knows that without the perfect sacrifice, we cannot um, be in covenant in this way and know eternal life. So think of it this way. There was a guy at my the last church I worked at, he worked for the Red Cross, and his name was Barry. And Barry uh, was very passionate about um, blood drives. <laughs> He's the only guy I've ever met that's, I mean, blood drives are great, but he was like super fired up about blood drives. Every year we had a blood drive, and every year he wanted to get up in front of the church, and he wanted to tell everybody about the blood drive, and he would spend 10 minutes of the service time talking about, we have to be like, Barry, cut, you know, <laughs> maybe like two minutes, and he would just keep, you know, and after a little while, it's like, Barry, you're so passionate about this. This is great. I, I love your passion for the Red Cross, and I said, where does that come from? And he said, well, when my wife and I were newlyweds, we'd been married about a year. Um, she was in a horrific car accident and went to the hospital, and I was in the ambulance with her, and, I, and, I, and she was losing a tremendous amount of blood, and we didn't think she was gonna live, and I could see the color draining from her face. It was the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. The love of my life could be dying right in front of me, and I, we get to the hospital, and they begin to give her pints of blood. And it took several, several pints of blood. And he said, as I, and as, as I saw the blood come back into her body, I saw life come back to her. And as I stopped the bleeding, obviously it saved my wife's life. So ever since then, I have been passionate about donating blood. There's life in the blood. It was the blood that saved her. It was the blood that gave her life, right? It's the blood that gives us life. In a similar way, this is why the shed blood of Christ on the cross is so vital for our salvation. And we need not be ashamed of it. We need not write it off and say, that's just what the Baptists talk about or the Pentecostals talk about. Friends, this is pure Christianity. Without the blood of Christ shed on your behalf, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that's the great news we get to proclaim to the world. So in God's end, covenants are everlasting. So last time I checked, has there been a flood that covered the face of the earth recently? No. God said it, and that's how it's been. God is God. He said, I am that I am. I am the Lord. I do not change. From age to age, I remain. I'm the Alpha 
and the omega, the beginning and the end. The same God of the covenant with Noah is the same God of the Last Supper who washed the feet of his disciples. I mean, imagine how the Israelites would have described their covenant with God after they left Egypt and God delivered them from the hands of slavery. This is probably how they would have described covenant. If you and I could have gone back then and said, how would you describe this covenant you have with, with, with your God that rescued you? This is probably how they would describe it. We were in a foreign land in bondage under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God by faith, took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and he let us out. Now we are on the way to the promised land. We're not there yet, we're not there yet of course, but we have the law to guide us, and through blood sacrifice, we have God's presence in our midst. So God will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. Now, if you were to come to any Christian today, they would say the exact same thing, right? We're in a foreign land under bondage under the sentence of death. All people will die one day. But our mediator, Christ, who stands between us and God, came with a promise and the delivery of deliverance. We trusted in his promises by faith. We took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and he led us out. Now we're on our way to the promised land. Amen. Someone better say amen to that one. We are not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us, and through his blood sacrifice, we have God's presence in our midst. So until then, God will stay with us until we get to our true country. Some may have the vague, unexamined impression that Old Testament people were somehow saved through just a host of detailed laws, and that today we were freely forgiven and accepted by faith. But that illustration shows us not only that the Israelites were saved by grace and that God's salvation had been a costly atonement from the very beginning, but also in the pursuit of covenant, deep community could characterize Christians as well. The difference between the two in the Old Testament and the New Testament of covenant is that the Old Testament was sealed by animal blood. The New Testament, Christ, is sealed with God's blood. Is that not a revolutionary thought? I mean, look at Hebrews chapter nine. If you wanna get into this idea of covenant and blood and why that's important, look at Hebrews chapter nine. Whoever wrote Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote it. I tend to think it's Nicodemus. Whoever there was, they knew the Jewish law back and forth. Look at Hebrews nine, go ahead and show it. This is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkle both the book of God's law and all the people, using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. In the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So we covered some of that, but back to Noah, right? Noah Noah's story doesn't involve sacrifice in this way. It doesn't involve any sort of work that people have to do on the other end of it. Noah's, Noah's uh, covenant, or God's covenant with Noah, 
is that it's all God's action toward the earth. It's purely just God saying, Noah, you don't have to do anything. I'm, just, I'm never going to wipe out the earth again. Why? Because I love you. It's, in a sense, a new Garden of Eden moment for the earth. It's God saying, I want this to work, and I want, I'm going to promise you that future covenants might require, might require some action on your behalf, but with this one, I'm doing it unmerited purely for your benefit. I mean, think about when the Israelites, when, I don't have a door frame up here, but when they were in the Exodus and they had to mark the, the blood frame, the, the blood frames, the, their door frames with the blood of the lamb. So imagine this is a door frame. Right, we know this story. Take the blood of the lamb, put it on the top and the sides and the wrath of God that occurred over Egypt at that time would what? Pass over that home, right? Because they were marked with the blood of the lamb. Here's a remarkable uh, correlation or connection between covenant then and covenant now. If you take those marks of blood over a door frame and make a shape with them, what shape do they make? It's a cross. God's heart has always been redemption. His covenants are always about not just sparing you, but redeeming you, but not just, not just helping you be a good person, but helping you come to life. He's always giving of himself. Just as they were saved by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorframe, now we are saved by trusting by faith, by saved by grace through faith in the shed blood of Christ on the cross for our, for our sin. And like Noah, like we'll see uh, next week with Abraham, and the 12 disciples, this life of faith we walk in, it's just that. Today when you leave here and you go home, you will be saying to God, God, I continue to, to trust in your covenant on my behalf by faith. By faith I trust in it. So when you go through a battle in your life and you go through a trial and a tribulation that's way bigger than you can handle, I don't know about you, but I have to, re- I have to return my mind and my soul back to those promises of God back to those unshakable covenants that he has made with men and women because we serve a God that is continually on our side even though you don't feel like it sometimes and you can't see it and I can't see it it doesn't mean he's not at work and it does not mean that he has neglected his covenant with you it does not it just means that he's with you in the middle of it so Sometimes the thing we trust by faith the most, which is, well, the Bible says the righteous are, should live by faith. When you live by faith and you live in trusting the covenant promises of God, that means that the Lord is leading your life when you walk by faith. It doesn't mean it's blind and you're just sort of absently you know, moving forward. No, you're trusting in the covenant promises of God on your behalf, that he's already done the work for you. Friends, this is how we fight our battles. It's not by our own ability, it's all about what he has done on your behalf, that we are saved by grace through faith in him. So as we sing these final songs, let's pray. And if you are going through a struggle, if you are going through a battle, please come up and pray. I would love to pray with you if you need it today. Um, So let's pray together. God, we thank you for your covenant promise. 
We thank you, God, that you're always working on the behalf of your people, that you are love, and that you have come to redeem and save those who are lost. God, every time we look up in the sky and we see a rainbow, may it solidify and remind us of your character, of your sovereignty, of your goodness. God, that we can bring to you all that we are and that you will, um, I pray that you would reassure within us uh, faith in your promises on our behalf. We give you this time of worship, Lord, and pray that you'd minister to our hearts, unearth things within us that have not um, 